How are you out there this morning? Amen. Happy New Year's Eve. I have a New Year's message for you that I feel the Lord gave me. I'm going to share just a moment here. Our text is going to be Ephesians 4, starting in verse 22. If you have your Bibles or your phones or your tablets or, I don't know, maybe you've got a chip implanted in your head at this point. I I don't know. However you get to the Bible, Ephesians 4, verse 22. Uh, I'm going to read clear through verse 32. But the first four verses are what we're going to cover today. And this is, a, this is a message for the new year, the first few verses here. But then there is a series in here that I felt the Holy Spirit would have me to do. So God willing, we're going to spend time unpacking verses 25 through 32 in the weeks to follow. But Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you for Ephesians. We thank you for all the possibilities of a new year. And Lord, we just pray that as... Uh, we embark in this journey through the word here in Ephesians 4 that you would open the eyes of our understanding and teach us, Lord God, how to embrace the things that will cause growth in our life in this coming year. We ask it in Jesus' name and the church said. So Ephesians 4, starting in verse 22, listen, that in reference to your former way of life, you are to rid yourself of the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. And that you are to be renewed, say renewed, renewed. In, the mind, in the spirit of your minds, amen, and to put on the new self in the likeness of God, according to God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Now, this is the rest of the verses here that will follow in the weeks to come. Therefore, ridding yourself, there's that word again, ridding yourself of falsehood, speak the truth, each one of you with his neighbor, because we're all parts of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. The one who steals must no longer steal, but must he rather labor and produce with his own hands what is good so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. Let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. Now, if you're trying to figure out which week that's going to happen so you don't have to be here, (laughs) I'm not going to tell you. I might even go out of order just to confuse everybody. Let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but if there is any good word for edification, according to the need of the moment, say that, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. All bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander must be removed from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Now, if you're paying attention, the words that we had this morning, uh, they solidify what the text is here. And if you realize it, the Holy Spirit is giving us a clear message this morning of how we're to approach the new year. Now, the way the world celebrates the coming of a new year has never been appealing to me, and even less so since I became a Christian. When I see all the revelry and the the excessiveness about it and how people are getting excited over something that 
may or may not be exciting. It never really appealed to me. I don't know if I'm weird, but even as a child, I could tell that, you know, there was an excitement in the air and the adults were all kind of giddy, but simultaneously I was aware of the fact that what they were doing was shallow and trivial and essentially it was meaningless because it never seemed to last. Now, I remember being the best part of New Year's Eve for me as a kid was I was allowed to stay up later than any other time of the year. And you'd stay up and then you'd see all these adults. Do you remember they would, I don't know if people still do this, but put those pointy party hats on and, you know, and get those noisemakers. I remember as a kid, they would put a hat on me, they'd fill me full of sugar, and then they'd give me noisemakers. And then they would get mad when I used them enthusiastically. You know, remember those things you blow in and, and right in your aunt's face? So I remember these things, these traditions, these cultural things that we did. I would see people gathered on TV in huge crowds with this sense of excitement and music blaring and they're overindulging and there's revelry and, and you watch and still massive crowds. If you turn on the TV tonight, you're going to see in places crowds of people just packed in. Some of them, like, you, you get locked in and you're not even allowed to leave to go to the bathroom. Man, I ain't standing anywhere at this age without a bathroom close by. And they're, they're out there and they're having all this fun and they're overindulging and, you know, all to watch a ball drop. You know, I mean, if people came from another planet to see what was going on here, I think they'd turn their spaceship around and head home. Now, I'm not, I'm not going with the aliens thing. I'm just making a joke. So don't write me any letters. But, you know, we gather out there. We get all excited. And, you know, and then the ball's going to drop. And they play the music. And then you got these talking heads, you know, just blah, 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 blah. Talking a lot, but not saying anything. And even as a kid, I could tell it, it was shallow. It was empty. You know what was especially silly to me? Uh, those New Year's resolutions that I used to hear people making. And, you know, the thing that was silly about them is uh, even as a kid, I realized those things don't last past January. Without a move of God, it don't make it into February. You know that one relative, this year I'm going to lose weight. And every year they're bigger and bigger. <laughs> the, the one relative that's tipsy at every barbecue, every party, this year I'm laying off the hard stuff. Never happens. New Year's resolutions. Gym owners love New Year's resolutions. In January, everybody joins the gym. In February, it's empty. Any machine you want, it's available. Wait till February. So as a child from that time, even as I was young, I realized that the way the world celebrates the passing of one year and the dawning of a new year was shallow and it, it didn't seem to make much sense. Over the years, I've discovered, I feel the Lord has showed me what the problem is with the way our culture celebrates the bringing in of a new year and with the revolution, I can't even say it because I can't stand it, the resolutions that people make on that day in the heat of the moment. Here's the problem, and, and, and you got to listen. First of all, it's not wrong to celebrate. You know, and when I say that, you're like, ah, oh, it's a setup. He's setting us up. No, Christians, you're allowed to celebrate. Amen? Some of us are so boring, Jesus wouldn't even hang out with us. Come on, it's okay to celebrate. It's okay to get together with people you love and celebrate, and to, you know, and, and just eat together and have fun together and laugh and smile. That's okay. Sometimes we get so Christianized, we get baptized in lemon juice, and we're just, we don't know how to have fun anymore. 
Uh, it's a tough crowd this morning. Okay, so it's okay to celebrate. That's the first thing I want to say. And it's not wrong. Uh, it's not wrong to, you know, want to make positive changes in life. You know, it's not wrong to want to be in better shape physically. That's actually a good thing. It's not wrong to want to develop spiritually, be, have more time with Jesus, grow. You know, all of that stuff is good. To celebrate is, is fine. To want to grow spiritually, to want to make positive changes in life, all of that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. But listen, what is wrong is doing it by our own accord without the leading of the Holy Spirit and without the initiation of God. That's wrong. And we're going to see a scripture that shows us why it's wrong. You know, when I try to do anything out of my own greater determination, it is doomed to failure. I want to tell you something. All of us need the Holy Spirit to affect any positive, lasting changes in our life in 2024. Come on, say amen this morning. You and I can never make lasting changes with our own fortitude, our own greater determination. Why? Because we don't control the future. We absolutely can't change the world, and we can't even change ourselves without God. These people who walk around, I'm going to change the world. Man, you're lucky you can change your clothes. In, in fact, if God don't give you your next breath or your next heartbeat, someone's going to put clothes on you. Yeah, think about that for a second. This 2023 was an interesting year for me. I took a break from living for a little while. And you know what? You realize right away we're all mortal. And you know what? We can't, we can't count on tomorrow, our next breath, our next heartbeat. It's all in God's hands. So while it's okay to celebrate and it's okay to be hopeful and it's okay to want to make positive changes, to do it in our own strength, in our own initiation, with our own agenda, without God, is not okay. And before we dive into our text in Ephesians, and we're going to be there, God willing, for some weeks, let's consider the implications of James 4, 13 through 16. If you're taking notes today, write down James 4, 13 through 16, and I encourage you to ingest this spirit and med, uh, this scripture and meditate on it. Look what James says. He says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. You do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. For you are just a vapor that appears for a little while and vanishes away. Instead, listen to verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, listen, your boasting and your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. Here's why the world gets it wrong when it comes to New Year's and getting excited about nothing and then saying how they're going to change their life and change the world and everything's going to change because the calendar changed. The truth is nothing changes without the initiation of the Holy Spirit and the power of God. We should always say, if the Lord wills. Why? Because we're not in control of our next breath, our next heartbeat, how the world will go. We're not in control of the future. God is. And for us to think that, you know, we can just uh, presu presumptuously, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that, and this is the way it's going to go for me. Now, while it's admirable to be hopeful and have a positive attitude, at some point it becomes presumptuous and arrogant, and the word says it eventually becomes evil. 
Why? Because I become my own God and I become uh, the master of my own destiny and I try to shape my own future and I ignore the sovereignty of God and the lordship of Jesus Christ in my life. Mm. Now, this is an unconventional New Year's message and I mentioned that to some people who were at the front door. I, I don't know if they left after they heard that. But, you know, th this, is gonna, this is not gonna be the, oh, it's gonna be new, it's gonna be this and we're gonna do that and rah, rah, rah. No, this is gonna be the real deal of if we want to see God move in our lives in 24, this is what we're gonna have to embrace, not what the world is selling, but what the, what the word of God says. Uh, we don't control the future, God does. So we acknowledge his lordship. Uh, if at any point I think, you know, I I'm gonna control my own destiny and uh, I'm gonna make a better version of me and I'm gonna do everything that I wanna do and it's all gonna work out and, and God's just gonna put his blessing on it, that's backwards. That's the cart before the horse. And it's why resolutions fail. It's why people are disappointed year after year. And it's why things never change for a lot of us. Verse 14, we don't control the future. And I want you to get this today. You don't know what your life will be like tomorrow. We don't like to think about that, do we? But it's the truth. My life is in God's hands. It's not in my hands. It's not in your hands. It's not in the government's hands. It's in God's hands. Verse 15 and 16 gives us the two-part unvarnished truth about the issue. We should always say, if the Lord wills. You see, it's not semantics. It's not being religious. It's giving God his rightful place. If the Lord wills, I'll live. And if I live, I'll do his will. And, and, and he'll bless me, but not, you know, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and take control. No, that's the wrong attitude for a, a child of God. Now, I realize why the world behaves that way, but somehow, some way, our lives have to transcend the culture. Ignoring the sovereignty of God is presumptuous, and the text even says, but as it is, you boast in your arrogance. Ouch. Come on, I was just being hopeful. I was just going with the culture. I was just, you know, getting all amped up and excited because it's a new year. But he says, your boasting's arrogant. All such boasting is evil. God calls it for what it is. When we are so independent and so presumptuous that we think we can control our own future and our own destiny, it flies in the face of the sovereignty of God. It becomes arrogant, presumptuous, and if we persist in it, it becomes evil. Jonathan Kahn, a great author, Christian pastor, and a prophet, points out in his various writings, he's written many books over the last years, he points out that every time God judges the nations, particularly America, for its sin, our leaders arrogantly say something to the effect that we're going to build back better. Could it be that at some point America would wake up, that the nations would wake up, that the world would wake up and see that the hardship and the wars and the rumors of wars and the judgment that falls on the nation is the judgment of God to wake us up? Like the word we heard this morning, it's time to repent and fill ourselves with the oil of the Holy Spirit so we're ready for his coming. Yet the world doesn't get it no matter how hard we get knocked down. And we've been knocked down in the last years. Our nation, the nations have been knocked down. And all we do is say, we're going to build back better. 9-11 comes and the COVID death toll took out millions of people. Yet we slough it off and, you know, it's going to be better in 24. 
and, and the shutdowns that have happened for two years, the, our economy shut down. We don't even realize the implications of the economic destruction that has taken place in our, in our economy. There are businesses that were staples in our economy and in our nation for years, for hundreds of years, that have gone out of business because of the COVID shutdowns, because of the supply chain issues. Household names, gone, done, out of business. There's been a shift that's taken place, and, and it's caused judgment in the nations. It's caused economies to falter, and eventually they will fail. You think about the leadership we have in our cities, our governors, our, in Washington, the, the corruption and the lack of accountability. That's not just a coincidence. That's the judgment of God trying to get our attention. It's amazing what we've learned to put up with as people who are American citizens who should be in a constitutional republic. My grandfather wouldn't recognize the condition of our nation right now. And our founding fathers would have been shooting by now. Yet we just go, oh well, and go back to our screens. As freedom slips away right under our watch. And why is this? What is this all about? It's about the judgment of God calling us to repentance, not saying, well, it's a new year, so it's all going to go away and be better. It's not going to go away. It's not going to be better unless we embrace God's way. Our nation that loves abortion, that would go to vote uh, to, to sustain those rights and at the expense of our own economic prosperity and our freedoms and our constitution. And we, we love immorality, our cultural corruption, our sexual immorality, gender confusion, the rejection of the ethics and the morals that have allowed us to be a blessed nation, and yet we seem to just let them all pass before us. I want to tell you something today in a sober moment the judgment of God is on our nation, on the nations. Yet when we look around, I'm so glad it's quiet right now. Happy New Year. Here's the deal. When we look around our representatives in Washington and our leaders in the church, we don't hear much call for national repentance. Not many, if any, are calling for repentance. All we hear is, we'll build back better, we'll come back stronger, you can't stop America. I heard one politician say, no matter what, you just can't stop the American economy. The hubris of that, the arrogance of that. As we print, print more, our economy is faltering, uh, it's teetering on the edge. It, most of us don't even know where we are right now. I'm not trying to scare you but I'm just trying to tell the truth. Oh, we can, we're gonna come back better, we're gonna build back better. The arrogance of that, the presumptuous of that, to the point where God's trying to get our attention, we refuse to get the message, and we say, no, we're just gonna build back better. So declaring on the new year what kind of year I'm gonna have or how I'm gonna change the world, or I'm gonna change myself, or build a better me, is a recipe for failure. It's an offense to God who holds my next breath in his hand. And it ignores the sovereignty of God in my life. Do you see how the world has gotten it wrong? Church, we've gotta get it right. Having said all that, in Ephesians 4, Paul does instruct us to make some spiritual improvements in our lives. 
As we unpack this text here, we're going to see he asked for some specific things to be ridded of and taken care of and reversed in our lives. And really, it boils down to us making spiritual improvements. Now, how many understand all of us could use some improvements in our spiritual lives? Amen. I was going to ask you to raise your hand, but you guys are raising your hands already. How many say, I could use some improvements? I'll raise both hands. Amen. I mean, we love Jesus, and we, we're here today, and we we're listening to the word, but all of us need to grow. I want improvements in my spiritual walk, in, in, the, in my devotional life, in my prayer life, in the, in the things that come out of my mouth. Anybody? Yeah, you were praying for that for me too. Huh? Praise God. So, you know, Paul's asking us to make some spiritual improvements, and that's the thing. We need to grow every year in the Lord. Not grow financially, not grow in our bank account, not just grow at our profession, not get a bigger this or a bigger that. No, we need to grow spiritually. And sadly, you know, sometimes if we don't partner with God, and we're going to learn how to do that in just a little bit, not only do we not grow spiritually, but we go backwards. And we can't go backwards in 2024. We've got to go forwards. You say, well, you know, Paul's asking for some spiritual growth, some spiritual improvements. What may, you know, why isn't that presumptuous? Why isn't that arrogant? Because we're not initiating those things ourselves. We're responding to what God's initiating. See, that's the point here. We're not sovereign. We're not independent. We don't just do our own thing and expect God to bless it. We do God's things in submission to the Holy Spirit, and then God blesses that. So God is asking for these specific changes that we're going to see in verses 25 through 32. And in the weeks to come, God willing, we'll learn them and allow the Holy Spirit to work them into our lives. Ephesians 4 calls... Uh, for many spiritual changes, for much spiritual growth. But this week, we're going to just look at verses 22 through 24, and it kind of sets the stage for how we allow these other things to come into our life and produce growth. Let's look at verse 22. That in reference to your former way of life, that's important, you are to rid yourself of the old self. I want you to get that stuck in your spirit. Rid yourself of the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. So verse 22 reveals the first role we have to play in this process of seeing spiritual improvements come to our life. And the first role we have to play is to submit to the Holy Spirit as he teaches us to rid ourselves of the old self. Say that word, rid. The Greek word that's translated in the New American Standard Bible, rid, the Greek word means to put away, to lay aside, to stow away, or to renounce. It's as if by a decision of our will, we decide I'm not going to do the same old things I did that I shouldn't be doing, but I'm going to grow up spiritually. I'm going to put them away. I'm going to stow them away. I'm going to lay them aside and renounce them and embrace the type of character and lifestyle that God has called me to. Do you see this idea of ridding? It, it, the word implies action, and there's action to take on our part. We didn't initiate it. We didn't decide what the agenda would be. We're responding to God, but we have a part to play. It's a decision of our will to turn our back uh, on the old way of life. And listen, it, it's a difficult thing to do. Why? Because God's asking us to turn our back and to, and to renounce something that's very familiar to us. It's natural to us. 
It's our natural default. He's saying the way you've always thought, the way you've always lived, the way you've always lacked it, stow it, put it away, renounce it, and get rid of the old self and put on the new self. Not easy, in fact, impossible without the Holy Spirit. That's why our grit and our determination will never effectuate any lasting change in our lives. Well, I'm going to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to do that. I'm going to discipline myself. And, and there's moments where, yeah, you know, you can do that and you can do it for a while, but I don't know about you, but it only lasts for so long. Amen. So our first role is to rid ourselves, to make a decision of our will, to turn our back on the familiar patterns of the old self and embrace the new self. It says what? To rid yourself, what? to your former way of life. How do we define what constitutes the old self lifestyle? Well, that's easy. We just examine the former way of life. How do we used to live before we came to Jesus? And some of us have been in church forever. We can't remember what it was like to be lost in the world. But if you stop and think back to the way you behaved before you gave your life to Christ, we used to act very differently than we do now. In fact, none of us would be here this morning. That's for starters, right? We would be, you know, in bed, hungover, and, and, and tonight too, and, and hopefully we've outgrown that. But, you know, the old self, the old lifestyle, it's really easy. This is the way I used to act. Do you, you realize the things we used to think and the things we used to do? How many want to just give God a hand clap of praise for the change? Amen. <laughs> the change that he brought in our lives. <coughs> Some of us used to think and do crazy things, and that was the former way of life. So that constitutes the old self lifestyle, and God is asking us to turn our back on it and to walk away from it. Our former way of life was governed by two principles, whether we realized it or not, and the first principle is this. I do what I want to do, and I don't want to answer to anybody for it. You say, well, how do you know that? How did you know that? Because that's a principle of the flesh. And when we're given over to the flesh, we want to do whatever we want to do, and we don't want to be held accountable to anybody for it. It's self-rule, and it has complete disdain for accountability. It has complete disdain for the law of God, for the expectations of God, and for the lordship of Jesus Christ. I do what I want, and don't you dare call me on it. Don't you dare challenge me on it. The problem with the old self trait that I just described is that it is both counterproductive and eternally destructive. Oh, I can do what I want, but it's counterproductive. Oh, I can do whatever I want, and you can't make me, but it's eternally destructive. How is it counterproductive? Well, it is in the sense that none of us can reach our own, our spiritual growth potential all by ourselves. Somebody says, oh, I'm a self-man made. Well, all that is is proof of bad workmanship. Amen. I, I did it all myself, and that's why you're half what you could be if you would have given yourself to God. Amen. I don't need anything from anyway. That's why your growth spiritually has been stunted. Wow. So it's counterproductive because none of us reach our potential in the Lord all by ourselves. We need the Holy Spirit. And newsflash, church, we need each other. Amen. The Bible says that iron sharpens iron. When you and I get around other believers, yeah, maybe the sparks fly, but that's just ironing sharpening iron. 
you know, we need to get around people of like precious faith who can sharpen us, who can challenge us, who can inspire us to serve God. Amen. <laughs> you know, I've always said, I know iron sharpens iron. What does an idiot do to iron? Because when we hang around people who are spiritual idiots doing all kinds of wicked, ungodly things, they are just dulling our edge. Welcome to Full Gospel Center this morning. Amen. So it's counterproductive. We need the Holy Spirit. We need each other. I, I do what I want. And no one can keep me accountable. It's just counterproductive. It's also eternally destructive because we can refuse to be accountable now. We can refuse to be accountable to others. We can refuse to be accountable to the pastor. We can refuse to be accountable to Jesus. But someday, all of us will give an account to God for our lives. There's no escaping that. I do what I want. Not forever you won't. There'll come a time where your life is over and you stand before God and you bow the knee and you will give an account for what you did with every day he gave you, with every decision separate. You will give an account to God. I do what I want is a fallacy because someday all of us will give an account. And sadly, if we refuse God's rule, if we refuse the lordship of Jesus Christ, if we refuse to submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit, when we give an account to God, there'll be hell to pay for eternity. Not everybody goes to heaven. Jesus said, only those who do the will of my Father. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not do all the spiritual religious works? And Jesus said, I never knew you. Depart from me. You practice lawlessness. See that lawlessness? What is that? I do what I want, and I answer to nobody. It's counterproductive. It's eternally destructive. This second principle that governs the old, the, old, the old man lifestyle is this. I do what I'm driven to do regardless of the consequences. You ever see people who are doing things that they know are killing them, but they won't stop? smoke cigarettes. I know it'll give me cancer. I, I drink to excess. I know it'll destroy my liver. I do drugs. I know there could be fentanyl in, in what I'm doing, and I could die at any moment. But I do what I'm driven to do, and I don't consider the consequences. That's the old self. That's the recklessness of flesh out of control, driven by lust. Look what it says. Being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. We're being deceived because we're driven by lust. The person that says, I do what I want, you don't do what you want. You do what you're driven to do by your lust. Do you think the alcoholic can just say, well, I'm not going to drink anymore? Do you think the heroin addict can say, I'm not going to shoot heroin anymore? Do you think anybody could stop doing those things that they're, no, it's not freedom, it's bondage. It's chains. It's slavery, yet when we're in that old self lifestyle, we can't stop doing what we're driven to do because only the Holy Spirit can get us out of that. Freedom doesn't happen by us doing whatever we want. Freedom happens when we bow the knee to Jesus and we receive the Holy Spirit and we get free from our sin to serve God, amen? Freedom starts on the other side of the cross. It doesn't happen before it. In 1982, on the ABC Evening News, they reported on a very unusual work of art. It was a big wooden chair with a shotgun affixed to it, pointing right at the chair. It was to be viewed 
by sitting in the chair and looking down the gun barrel. The gun was loaded and set on a timer to fire at an undetermined moment within the next 100 years. Now listen to this. <laughs> Amazingly, people lined up in lines that wrapped around the building and actually waited to take a turn to sit in the chair and look down the barrel. They knew the gun could go off any moment, but they were willing to gamble that the fatal blast wouldn't happen during their minute in the chair. There are so many people who would never dream of sitting in that chair, yet who live a lifetime gambling with their sin. They ignore the risk of sin, and so boom, the fatal shot is fired, and their eternity is changed forever. I do what I want, and I answer to no one. I do what I'm driven to do, and I call it freedom, but it's bondage. The next two verses give us the remedy for the destructive patterns of the old self. See, you and I as believers need to be delivered from the old self. We need to rid ourselves of the old self and put on the new self. Look at the remedy here given to us. The first part of it is in verse 23, and that you are to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Say renewed. There again, the old being pushed away and embracing the new, the renewal of our minds. We need to be renewed in our minds. Now, some Christians believe that the mind has little to no role to play in our spiritual development. And I want to tell you today, that's exactly wrong. When we get saved, we didn't go to Jesus, bow down and hand in our brains. Here, Jesus, barely used. You could reuse this one. No, God doesn't ask us to stop thinking, to, to just not have an intellect. No, we, our minds are important, and you're, we're going to understand why. I'm going to make a statement in just a minute. But the way we think is important, in our, and the way we used to think is destructive, so we need our minds renewed. And now we might say, yeah, that sounds good, Pastor. I want, you know, where do I order one on Amazon? I get a new one. You're way too serious today. No, I want to tell you, it's really easy to renew our minds. The way we renew our minds is to take in massive doses of the Word of God. The Word of God will renew our minds. You say, can I just be spiritual? Can I just do good works? Can I just be a nice person? No, you'll be, you know, a nice person that does good things, but you'll still have stinking thinking because your mind will still be fleshly. This is the only thing that renews the mind. Why? Because this reveals the mind of Christ from Genesis to Revelation. When we read God's word, it changes the way we think. Again, how many would say after I came to Christ and sat under the word of God, the word of God began to change the way I think? Amen. Raise your hand if that's true. Amen. The word of God. And, and we need just not a little bit of it. We can't be immersed in that crazy world out there all day long and, and, and read, you know, five minutes of scripture. A little dab will do you, half a verse. Woo! Come on. 
we, I'm telling you, we need a lot. To renew the mind, you need a lot of the word. Now, if you sit in church and you're hearing the word, you know, that's good. If you got the radio on and you're listening to preaching, that's good. If you're doing the verse, that's good. But it all works together, and we need a lot of it to flush out the old self, amen, to reverse that thought process. It's amazing. You begin to read God's word, read the gospels, read Proverbs, 31 Proverbs, one for each day of any month. It will begin to change the way you think. Now, we need the word of God to renew our minds. We need both the logos, that's the written word, and the rhema word, the spoken word. Amen. When you and I hear the word of God spoken under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, like you're sitting here right now hearing the word of God spoken, it is renewing your mind. It's changing the way you think. It's changing you from the inside out. Whether you like it or not, the, oh, I don't want to be changed. Too bad. The ushers already closed the doors. And you're going to hear it, and it's going to get in you, and it's the word of God, so it's going to have an effect in you, even if you don't want it to. The logos, the written word, the rhema, the spoken word, we need, in 2024, we need to make the word of God a priority in our lives. The time is short. The world is dark. Jesus is coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. We need to let the word change the way we think. Help us, Lord. Our minds will never change just by us getting older, more experienced. They'll only change if we allow the word of God to wash away the old. Verse 24 gives us the second part of the remedy. It says, put on the new self. The new self has to replace the old self. And I want you to listen to this and put on, say put on. on. I want you to get the idea of like putting on a garment. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. And put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, which means according to God, has been created in righteousness, holiness, and truth. So putting on the new self, it's part of that ridding process. Why? Because like, I'm not going to act the way I used to. I'm putting that away. I'm renouncing it. I'm not going to go back to what I used to do. I'm going to be different. The Bible says that if we're in Christ, we are what? A new creation. Old things pass away and all things become new. We need to embrace the newness and we need to put it on like a garment. Now, some garments are, you know, we don't, we don't know how to wear them or we, you know, it's, it's not our style or what, you know, but we've got to put it on. And to put it on, you got to take the old one off. Yeah, yeah. My, my son, Riley's very high fashion. He bought me a, a jacket for Christmas. What's that? Polo, polo. I, I put it on. I, I like, I, I don't know how to do this. <laughs> you know, I'm used to camouflage, but I, I think I looked good. So... <laughs> I'm, me and fashion parted ways a long time ago. My family is trying to help me, but this is the best we can do. But it's that garment. You put that new garment on. Maybe it's a garment you're not used to wear. Maybe it's a, it's, a, you know, it's a really nice garment, and it makes you a little bit like, oh, I don't know how to behave. But we've got to take the old off and put the new on. It's a decision of our will. It's a choice. Amen. And it starts by us renewing our mind and saying, I'm not going to act the way I used to act. I'm not going to talk the way I used to talk. I'm not going to think the way I used to think. I'm not going to yield the, the members of my body to unrighteousness to do things that I know God doesn't want me to do. I'm going to put on the new self, amen, like a garment. 
See, the old self is all about defiance and autonomy and the lack of accountability and doing your own thing. But the new self has three very different attributes. Look what it says here. Has been created what? In righteousness, holiness, and truth. I take away that arrogance and that pride and I do my own thing and, and I put on righteousness in Jesus Christ. I embrace holiness as the Holy Spirit begins to work holiness in us, not just positionally, but, you know, really working holiness into us. And I embrace the truth, rejecting the lies of the world and embracing the truth of Scripture. The only way anything changes for better in 2024 is if we will embrace the changes God is initiating in our lives by the Holy Spirit. It's not going to just change because the calendar flipped. It's not going to just change because we have a presidential election or we get new leaders. It's not going to change because, you know, somehow, some way, we just were so excited and, and so determined that we just changed ourselves. We've got to find out what God is calling us to do. God willing, in the weeks ahead, we're going to unpack the rest of those verses, and we're going to see the, the changes and the spiritual improvements that the Word of God calls for in our lives, and I believe that if we'll embrace each one as we cover each one, by the end of 2024, we are going to be new people. The old self is going to be so missing that people are not going to recognize us. We're going to put on righteousness, and we're going to be the light in the darkness that the world needs to see in the church. Amen. Let's bow our heads today. Father, we're thankful and we're hopeful for a new year, but we don't hope in our own grit and determination. We want positive change, Lord, but we realize we don't initiate that because we don't control the variables. You control the future. You know what our life's going to be like. You've called us and equipped us and determined the length of our days. So, Father, we just want to accept your will and submit to the working of the Holy Spirit. In this year, Lord, we put off the old self, the old nature, the old pattern. We renounce it, Lord God. And we ask that the new, that new creation that you've made us would take its place in our life, that old things would pass away and all things would become new and we would look like Jesus and the church would be the church. Purify your people, purify your bride, Remove every spot and every wrinkle and prepare us for your coming. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Give him praise.